Hi, it's Eva. Before we dive into select replays from season one, I wanted to let you know that my book launched a couple weeks ago. It's called The Good Your Money Can Do, and it is a guide for anyone looking to use all of their resources to find meaning and purpose and to do good. You can check it out at thegoodyourmoneycando.com, and you can buy it at a number of independent bookstores that are also listed on my website, including bookshop.org. I would love to hear your feedback. Please connect with me on social media at Conscious Investor on Instagram or through LinkedIn to let me know how you liked it. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Ian Walker. Ian is the founder and president of Left Coast Naturals, an organic food manufacturer and distributor based in Western Canada. Ian is the brains behind a number of healthy food brands, including Hippie Snacks, that focus on natural, plant-based, non-GMO products from peanut butter to granola to cauliflower crisps. Ian is a fierce advocate of the triple bottom line approach to business, focusing on people, planet, and profit. He started his business when he was 24. Today, Left Coast Naturals distributes products in more than 500 stores and has developed a unique company culture with highly progressive perks all around one mission, sustainability. Welcome, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. So let's dive in. You started your company at a very young age and kind of thinking from the lens, from the eyes of a 24-year-old, what was your motivation to start your business at that age? Well, it's it's an interesting one in that um, I think similar to a lot of people, there wasn't a big aha moment that I'm going to do this big fancy business it was more you sort of fall into business and you know I had just finished university and moved out to western Canada I grew up in eastern Canada and um, had met a friend and and he happened to have a a product that he was thinking of doing a business with so I really fell into it but I did know one thing I knew that if I did a business that I really wanted it to mean something so I knew that at least, and, and we, at the starting, we certainly called ourselves the blind leading the blinder because we really didn't know a lot about the food industry. We didn't know a lot about uh, organics, but we loved the concept and we loved what it was about, and it just resonated with us as people. So that was a good foundation to start from. Excellent. And for those that don't know about Left Coast Naturals and, and what you do, what is unique about your products and what about them makes you proud? Well, really, we're, we're two businesses baked into one. So we have a distribution business where we distribute across Western Canada. And, and, and that business is a bit of a different distributor in that we only represent a few brands and we go really deep. And, and really, the other part of the business is the Hippie Snacks brand. So that's manufacturing. And that's what we started with. We started as a manufacturer, 
knowing that we wanted to make better for you products. So we started with peanut butter and then got into better for you snacks. And, you know, today our, our most commonly known product is a, is a cauliflower crisp and an avocado crisp. And, and we were the first to bring coconut chips into North America um, back in the early 2010. And so really it's been about better for you snacks. So that's, that's a key area that we focus on. Um, and then within the distribution, we really say, well, we want to be the distributor that hippie snacks would want as a distributor. So we're a bit of a smaller distributor that only represents a few brands and really focuses hard on those brands um, and is super picky about who we represent. Because who you represent and what your products are show who you are as people. What was your catalyst for getting into the distribution business? At the starting, it was really just no one would do it for us. We were two young guys that had no contacts in the industry and were delivering product out of the trunk of our cars and and so, you know, no one, we went to a bunch of distributors, they kind of laughed at us, so we got it into the stores and started getting really good sales, and all of a sudden those same distributors were asking to carry our products. So we we used them for the farther away areas, but we didn't love the job that they did. We didn't like how they behaved as a company, and so we quickly decided, well, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to be a distributor as well. And we can use that position as a distributor to influence the types of products that come into our marketplace and the types of products that get put on grocery shelves. Um, so we can use um, that position to really shape shape what products come in and, and to be a better distributor. What makes a distributor the right distributor for hippie snacks? So what characteristics, or give me an example if you could, of some things a distributor would do that would make them uh the right distributor for hippie snacks? Well, two ways. One is on the values side. Obviously, values and, and, and sustainability are so baked into who we are and what we are that you, you want to work with people that are aligned with that, that get that, that see the importance in that. Because it, it, it eventually shows shows up, whether it's rearing its ugly head in the bad way or whether it glows and shines in a good way. Um, it, it always kind of comes through. Number two, from a business perspective, you really want somebody that's going to give some love to your product, that's going to pay attention to it, that has time to focus on it, gets what it's about, is able to tell that story, and really kind of be an advocate for your product in the market that it's selling. Um, And that's really what we're looking for. But most of the distributors out there are larger, I really call them guys with trucks. They're just, you know, it's like a third-party logistics. They're a place where stuff's stored and shipped when somebody orders, and that's it. And that wasn't what we wanted to be. Because to me, I don't like businesses that are a race to the bottom. I'd rather provide a service or a product that's much different from what's out there and have a strategic competitive advantage that kind of gives reason to believe in your product or reason to believe in your service. Um, That's super important. I would love to pick up on something you said previously, which is better for you. I, I know that better for you is a category of food that also has a lot of attention now. Um, and there are even venture funds based around investing in better for you food businesses. Can you unpack that for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, that's a complicated one in that it means so many things to so many different people. Um, so I can't speak for other people, but I'll speak for how we look at it. Um, and, and it's also changed over the years, right? When I, when I began this business in 96, Let's be honest, we were kind of the freaks. We were the weirdos that were pushing organic foods 
and you know, sure there were some people that were into it, but it, it wasn't mainstream. And so at the starting, a way to stand out or be better for you was to say, okay, well, I'll do a natural product or I'll do an organic product, sort of the same version of something else that's already out there, but an organic or natural version. And as the product has matured or as the categories have matured and organic has become more mainstream and, and natural is, is somewhat a given in a lot of ways, um, that definition has evolved and, and it's been around you know, bringing in things like nutrient density, short ingredient lists, minimal processing, how the product is, how the ingredients are sourced, how the workers are treated. So many more of the sort of triple bottom line philosophies are coming into it. So, you know, we started with just looking at what is the product that, that, that it actually is, like what are the ingredients? And then you kind of start looking at everything else around it. What kind of people are involved in this? Who are the companies? How do they treat people? How do they show up in their community? Um, and, and so for us, it's a very all-encompassing thing. Um, not only is it food that's better for you nutritionally, that's better for you from a chemical or um, additive perspective, but also just that are good companies. Yeah, and um, getting back to Left Coast Naturals, the company has a stated mission of believing in the triple bottom line approach and business philosophy, which is the focus on people, planet, and prosperity. Why did you adopt this approach? And like, how does that come to bear in your company? For sure. I mean, um, right from the starting, it was more, you know, I came into this business as what I would call at the time more of an environmentalist. You know, I grew up um, in the outdoors a lot, and I'm still a big outdoors person, and worked as a canoe trip guide um, in northern Ontario. And, and so when you appreciate the outdoors, you definitely want to preserve that. So you, you come in, we came into this with a environmental approach. And as I got into it more and understood organics and then started looking at more the triple bottom line and looking at the social impact, the people impact, um, you, you really start to expand the way that you look at that. Um, but um, I knew that in doing a business that I, it wasn't really about just building this into a business that I could flip later because that doesn't have legacy. It doesn't have deep meaning. It's not going to, you know, when I'm 90 and I'm laying on my deathbed, it's not going to put a smile on my face. What's going to put a smile on my face is having impact in community. And so for some reason I knew that from a young age, partly because of being in the outdoors, partly because it's what I was raised with, with my parents and my grandparents, you know, how you treat people is paramount. It's kind of the golden rule aspect. And when you first started, you were thinking mostly about composting and packaging as uh, the environmental impact that you were having. But today, your commitment to sustainability runs deeper than that, um, and it's integrated into your food. Can you tell us about your sustainability journey over the since 1996? For sure. You know, it really started on the product side. So it was, okay, we're going to do... Uh, an organic version of something or a natural version of something where one doesn't exist today. So we bring a better option to fold. So it was about the ingredients that went into it, a um, little bit about the packaging, but really it was about those side of things. And it was, okay, what is our energy source? Can we buy renewable energy? So it's sort of those simple things that most people think about now. As we got into it more and we did some more life cycle analysis, we started challenging ourselves to understand things. 
we realized that so much more of, of the footprint that we were creating as a business was associated in a lot of other areas. So even if we look at carbon footprint, 55% of our carbon footprint of a Hippie Snacks product, for example, is how the food was actually grown. So all those growing factors like tillage practice and irrigation methodology and water source and riparian area protection, kind of unsexy stuff. That's the stuff that is the biggest piece of a, even if you're just looking at carbon footprint, let alone if you start bringing in the social factors by like how, how uh, workers are treated, um, how they show up in their community, um, what kind of governance does that company have so that the staff are heard and treated well, um, how do they help to move the dial within the industry by being advocates towards the right areas, and are they actually doing what they're saying or are they just talking about it? So many of those things kind of as we got to know more companies and we saw people we didn't like what they did or we saw people we liked what we did, it started to shape um, started to shape us. And as we did life cycle analysis and kind of used the science on it, it really expanded it to where we are today, which is really looking full circle at all aspects of the product and saying, how, how does this impact? So that led to a lot of decisions and changes that we would put in place. So I'm curious about when we're, when you're talking about the, you know, the farming and the sourcing and all of those practices, that's really fascinating. And I'm always kind of a simpleton when it comes to these things. And, um, and I, and I get first think about packaging. Um, so I wonder, you know, how important is packaging in the overall sustainability of a food product? Is it, you know, 5%, 10%, 50%? Like, I'm just curious in your mind, yeah. are people kind of like, you know, it's, it's a bag and it goes recycling or whatever, or is it really a big deal? Welcome to the conundrum of a sustainable business. You can talk about the things that people understand and they scream for, or you can talk about the things that actually have impact. And this is one of the things that we've struggled with in that packaging, just so you know, is 2% of our footprint. So it's the first thing that everyone raises. So it's a, I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet around packaging in that I do believe it's something we need to work on. But should we be working really hard on that 2% item where even if we improve it by 50%, we only gain a 1% gain in footprint? Or should we work on the growing practices or the trucking, which is 25%, or the, the food waste aspect? Those are way bigger on an impact. Problem is that customers aren't asking for that. They don't kind of understand it. They're confused by it. So there's a lot of education that has to happen. And so we've spent a lot of time trying to educate, and, and you, frankly, you get mixed results. Not everybody gets it. Um, you know, and, and there's, there are some reference tools out there. That's why we use certifications like uh, B Corp is, a, is, a, is an easy one uh, that we were an early member of because I believed, hey, this is something you can point to to say we're doing what we say we're doing, and it shows you a score, and it's understandable um, as a way to assess a business. Um, because they, they, if you're not familiar with it, B Corp is a certification on sustainability where they, they score you on the different areas like environmental, community, social impact, um, worker, <clears throat> workers, um, how you, how you um, donate and show up that way, um, how you operate as a business. And they assess you and then, and then people can see how you score. It's very transparent. Um, so things like that at least can give some credibility to what we're talking about, but it is frustrating sometimes as a sustainable business and that you 
the things people want aren't always the things that actually have impact. And I'm sometimes not sure what to do with that. Yeah. And also I think sometimes environmentally friendly practices can be costly. Um, have you experienced that at, at Left Coast Naturals? Oh yeah, for sure. They're, they're costly and sometimes they're actually, um, uh, backwards. In other words, you think you're doing something good, but you're actually not. So like a good example is we did dig into packaging and we found some compostable packaging. And, and as we dug deeper, we realized, oh, you know, because one of the best options we found was a cellulose-based one that's kind of wood fiber from a tree. And we're like, whoa, wow, we found a natural source. This is great. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll be compostable. Well, it ended up not being fully compostable, first of all, in, in, in backyard compost. But second of all, more importantly, when we dug deeper and actually asked the questions, we found out that the process to create that product had heavy, heavy industrial chemical inputs, and the impact from that was 10 times worse than the packaging itself. So sometimes you just don't ask enough questions, and the deeper you dig, the more questions come up, and the more you realize, hmm, that solution that seemed easy actually isn't easy. And unfortunately, that's why a lot of people throw their hands in the air and go, I don't know, I'll just do this because people are telling me to do it. So we're kind of the crazy ones that keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and, and, and leads us down a path of discovery. I find that to be so powerful and, and uh, so admirable. Um, you know, my family eats plant-based at home. And sometimes I'm like, geez, you know, is this tofu coming from Japan actually, you know, better for the planet than you know, a, a chicken from Texas. And I, and, and I have no tools for figuring that out. Um, you know, I, obviously if you're just intentional and in trying to do the right thing, you know, you're probably better off than if you're just shooting in the dark. And obviously the fact that we can get it wrong is not an excuse to not do anything. But from a consumer standpoint, you know, I find myself stuck in that all the time. And I wish there was an easier way to understand that dynamic as a buyer. I don't know how it's even possible. Yeah, I, I think there's some of those coming here. There are some, there are forthcoming, I hear of some measurement tools coming where you can calculate carbon footprint on, on a product. They're, they're coming there. Um, but it is counterintuitive, right? Like, um, we, we, one of the things that we discovered was, for example, we bring honey from Alberta. Um, that's about, um, an eight hour or 10 hour drive from here. And we bring quinoa from Bolivia and Peru. Well, just so you know, the footprint on the quinoa coming from Peru is actually way less than the honey that drives eight hours to get here. Because shipping by, transporting by ship is 52 times more efficient on a carbon intensity than driving by truck. So just that one thing changes the complete dynamic on that. But then you bring in the whole idea that is it all about carbon footprint? Is there also a social impact? So the other thing we always consider is, you know, I'd call it the um, uh, neighborhood or the, the farmer's market approach. Isn't there some value to the fact that if you can look a person in the face, you can maybe trust the product that they're giving you a little bit more? So there is some aspect to that where, you know, Sometimes it can be better environmentally to buy local. Sometimes it isn't. But there's also a social impact where you're putting money into your community and you're looking somebody in the eye when they say it's organic and you can trust them around that a little bit more. 
um, I, I think there's some other values that come with that as well. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And I also feel con- confused as a consumer. Um, one issue as a consumer that's been really important to me is genetically modified organisms, uh, GM, also known as GMOs, uh, in our food. And I know that's an area that you have uh, kind of had a very strong opinion, um, in fact, a, a controversial one to, to cut GMOs out of your supply chain. Um, what was the your logic and and at what point in, in your company's history did you make that decision and what impacts has it had? Yeah, it, it's been actually a pretty early decision. As soon as I, as just a consumer or a, a business owner, started learning a little bit more about it, I was a little suspicious around that side of things. And, and really it comes to the fact that we want food as close to nature as possible. So is it natural for a gene from a fish to be in a soybean? That's not I don't call that natural and really so that's where we try to focus to keep food and products that we sell as close to the way that nature grows them. because you know nature has had millennium and millennium to develop what they do and what mother nature does and I don't I think there's a lot of hubris in the society that we know better and and I'm not sure I think man keeps finding out that sometimes we aren't um, so Really, we, we've kind of had a policy right from the get-go to try to avoid that, and, and really a lot of that has been through buying organic. But as a distributor, because we carry other people's products, you know, we can. it's easy for us to say, okay, our own products, we, can, we know who we're buying from for ingredients, and we can control that. Whereas when we distribute, you know, the manufacturers that make the products that we distribute, we don't control how they buy things. But we can decide whether to buy that product or not. So we decided back closer to 2010 to become a non-GMO distributor as well. We'd always had a, um, a policy of trying to avoid it, but we didn't go, you know, we didn't ask a million questions and go super deep on it. And so what we did is we assessed every brand that we had and, and we worked with them to move them to non-GMO. We gave ourselves two years and then we, we drew a line in the sand and, and that year that we drew the line in the sand, I don't know, we probably gave up at least maybe half a million in sales of products that we said, we're just not going to carry this anymore. And, and I think in business and in life, when you have a stance on something, it can always, that, that stance can mean one thing when it leads to profits. But when it sometimes leads to further costs or um, less profits, that's really where the rubber hits the road. That tells you where you really feel. You know, if, if if your business isn't just about profit, if it's about impact or it's about doing the right thing, well, that's the moment where you get tested on that. Yeah, I mean, my concern about GMOs is also that they imply chemicals uh, and pesticides being utilized. But I, I, I really admire your stance, um, and I think that your company really, you know, stands stands for its values um, in having made that decision. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit to the internal company culture, um, which is very unique. Uh, some of the benefits that you provide to your employees are incentives around bonuses that for employees that buy organic food or ride a bike to work or make environmental improvements in their homes. How did you conceptualize these incentives for your employees? For sure, and I think this comes back to when we started doing um, 
life cycle analysis on our products and we started looking at impact. And, and one of the things that you look at is, you know, you can control a lot of the stuff that we purchase, but as you start wanting to expand or improve your impact, especially when you do life cycle and you look at it all the way from farm to table, you realize there's a lot of other stakeholders. So you have farmers, you have processors that you work with, you have distributors, you have retailers, you have consumers, you've got people in your industry. So we sort of said, how can we help change things outside of our business to have an impact? So you you think about it in concentric circles. There's certain ones close to you that you can have greater control over or greater impact in. And as we assessed how we could have an impact, we realized, okay, well, our employees is a fairly easy one that we can help impact. And how can we help them make better choices in their life without telling them they have to do something? Because, you know, we're not dictatorial that way. We don't, you know, we don't run a business where we tell people how they have to act. You know, we just want to have a company that that treats people well and, and that people are excited to be a part of. So when we looked at that, we said, well, what can we do to help them make some changes? And, and this bonus program, for example, is one of them where we said, well, what's stopping them from making positive changes in their life? Sometimes people will come up with reasons why not instead of reasons why. And a lot of times that's money. So we said, well, let's help people eat more organic. So, you know, what's the difference? And we did a bit of a uh, back of envelope calculation on what the difference would be. And it was about $75 a month. So we said, well, if we give them 75 bucks, now they have no excuse. They have to buy organic. So they got 75 bucks a month for that and 120 bucks if they ride their bike to work and 40 bucks if they carpool and we give them uh, 200 bucks every two years towards buying a bike. Uh, we give them $400 towards making improvements in their home. So if they want to put in a more efficient hot water heater or put solar panels, they can build up a bit of a fund over, say if they're with us for five years and they got 2000 bucks to spend. So they're kind of like a sustainability fund, if you will. Um, and really it was just about um, giving them the ability to make some changes that they probably already wanted to make anyway or that we would love for them to make, but we're not going to tell them to do that. Um, and it, it also just kind of rounds it out in that they're it puts our money where our mouth is. Yeah, as the, as the mom of two children, I know incentives work, work quite well, but um, this is very <laughs> extremely creative um, and I would guess that it helps your employees uh, be happy at their workplace. It's amazing for me the number of people that we've got onto organic because of this that maybe wouldn't have otherwise got there or have started to ride their bike to work and found all the other things that come from that. Not only do they get the money in their pocket, but they're feeling healthier, they're sick less, they're um, have in a great mental state when they get to work. I mean, there's so many other factors that come into these things. Now, I think organic produce tastes better against regular produce. Do you agree with that? Sure. Do I have the science to back that up? No, but anecdotally, yes. Like for me, bananas, like organic bananas, 100% are better than regular bananas. I, I can't back that up with science either. I, that just might be my own crazy opinion, but... I think it's just bad. I, I mean, I think you just have to go to a farm and see them spraying, and then you say, well, do I want to eat that or do I want to eat this other place? Because I've, for example, you know, we go to a lot of our farms, and, and for the, both the ingredients and for distribution, because we distributed, um, we're Canada's largest organic bulk distributor, so we distribute nuts and seeds and grains and dried fruit from all over the world. 
And when we go to the farms, you know, for example, I visit our almond farmer in California. And you go there and you see how they grow and they've got cover crops uh, growing there. They've got their almond shells that are uh, being composted um, and they're, they're, they're using that and they're actually giving that to their neighbors as well because uh, they have so much of it. Um, and churning that back in the soil to get the nutrient density along with the cover crops. You have this what looks and you've got bees all over the place because they've got wildflowers growing. Like it looks alive when you go there. And when I go there, I always make a point to go to the conventional farm and I go to the conventional almond farm and um, to some degree, it looks super tidy. You know, it, it, it looks very pristine. You have this these trees that are super neat and tidy with this very clean dirt track underneath it. But it looks incredibly sterile. It doesn't look alive. And that's because they've killed everything around it. So just common sense tells me, do, do really, do I want to eat that? Or do I want to be associated with that? Maybe it, it may look neat, but good things don't always look neat. So you've been doing this for a while and having a social impact as a central part of your business strategy. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about the feedback you're getting from your customers. Are they reacting to the, the I don't hesitate to use the word branding, but your company is branded as triple bottom line. Um, are they reacting to the fact that you are focused on more than just the bottom line and also providing a premium and organic and safe product for them to feed their families? For sure. I mean, um, it's definitely been an evolution. So in the early years, you know, you had your core natural food stores that really got you and appreciated it. And to me, it's amazing in that uh, because sustainability and organic have become more mainstream. You have even the most conventional grocery stores that they all want to talk about this because they know it's what their consumers want. They know it's what millennials are talking about. And so we sometimes look at ourselves as a way for those stores to look good. We can bring them products, give them stories that help them look good. Well, then it's a win-win. We get to do positive things for the world and it helps build more business, and it makes our customers happy. That sounds great to me. So definitely um, it has been well-received. Um, a lot of them will look at us. Um, the one thing they like is when we go present an item, they say, well, you know, Ian, the thing we love about you guys is that you pre-filter all the products. We don't have to do the thinking because you already do. So, for example, they all know we've, we've educated our retailers that we have a scorecard for any product that we distribute. We have a scorecard for the farms that we buy from, and and we, we share those scorecards so that they know this is these are the standards that we look at. So it creates a lot of integrity around when we say, okay, this is a good product for you. It creates built-in or baked-in integrity, and that they know they can go to us for better-for-you products that, that they can feel good about and that will have a good story that their consumers, you know, because a lot of these guys, the last thing they want is a product that might come back to haunt them. You know, either it's it ends up having the wrong story or there's some social impact thing comes out. And so if we're pre-screening that, they very much appreciate that. And it goes to the fact that a lot of the retailers are buying into this. Like I personally have gotten in the Canadian market about five or six retail chains to become B Corps themselves. They really heard about what we were doing. They really liked it and jumped on. And so then they do B Corp end caps and 
They do non-GMO month end caps, and they do organic week end caps. So we can work with them to promote these products and we're values aligned around this, and they get excited about it because it is a sort of win-win. Yeah, it's always... The win-win is always key. Um, I, I want to wrap up by asking you what your vision for your company is and where you see Left Coast Naturals in the next 10 years. Sure. Um, from a pure business perspective, we have sort of two goals uh, within the distribution business is to sort of be the preeminent organic distributor in Canada. As a distributor, we intend to just play in our own backyard. We're Canadian. We don't have to be huge. <laughs> We're okay with that. Um, but to have impact on the retailers and, and the suppliers that we work with and that every year we want to have an even better portfolio of products. So we raise the profile of our products and our score, what we would call our sustainability score of the products that we carry so that you know when people look at us, they know that they can trust that product. So on the distribution, that side, on the hippie snacks, um, we feel that if we can in the next 10 years be the leader for what they call the functional snacks, that are better for you snacks, um, by continuing to bring innovation and continuing to bring less processed, natural, organic, non-GMO um, products that are actually made from real foods. You know, there's a lot of kind of... Um, fairy dust type products where they have a token ingredient, but we like to, for example, our cauliflower crisps, we grind whole cauliflower. You know, we do promotions on, on those products where people buy three avocado crisps and they get a free avocado because if we're honest, I think I'd rather have people eat avocados than our avocado crisps because that's better for you. But if you can't do that, then we're a convenient kind of second option. So I think a lot of this is being honest with who we are and, um, uh, trying to impact the stakeholders around us, the, that being the retailers, the customers, and you know, our, going back to our general theme, which is good people providing good food. That's a pretty good summation of how we want to operate. So I know this is kind of like asking you who your favorite child is, but I'd like to know if there's one hippie snack that's your favorite, which one is it? Uh, today, it may change as, you know, almost week by week. Um, today it's a new one that I can't say yet. Um, but if I can't say that one, um, probably the, we do a savory nut and seed cluster that, um, I'm a big umami, uh, fan, anything that has that kind of savory taste to it. Um, I love, so that would be up there. Um, the, our, our original cauliflower crisp, I think just goes with everything. So i you know, those back. <laughs> okay. I think you made us both hungry. <laughs> uh, Ian, thank you so much. Uh, you've, you are a pioneer and it's an honor for, for me to, and, and for Ed to speak with you and learn more about the ways that you are really pushing forward your industry. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for you know, giving me the ability to share the story and, and for you for championing this, you know, and, and telling these stories to people. I really appreciate that. Best of luck, Ian. Great talking to you. Thank you very much. Bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. 
you've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate review. And if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Before you go, I wanted to remind you that my book, The Good Your Money Can Do, was released a couple weeks ago. It is a guide for anyone looking to use their money and all their resources to line up with their own values and to find more meaning and purpose. I hope you will check it out at www.thegoodyourmoneycando.com. You can also find links to the book and where to purchase it on my social media at Conscious Investor on Instagram, as well on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for your support. I'd love to hear any feedback from you.